morning friends welcome to making disciples hey it's good to have you with me thank you for downloading this episode um i don't take it for granted that you listen it i really appreciate it i appreciate that you want to invest some of your time into your discipleship and you're willing to listen to me uh, in doing that now today's episode is an interview with my friend kathy madavan uh, kathy has just written a new book called why less is more and she let me read it before it went to print and um, i just thought it was fantastic what she's doing in this book is really interesting because she's not quoting from the bible in it she's not talking heavily about christianity but she's taken a real simple Christian concept about living life simply, uh, taking the resources that we have and using them well. And she's tried to use this uh, simple, simplistic way of life, this this way of stripping back uh, to find better contentment. She's trying to use this as a way into connecting with people who have no faith. She thinks this is a book for anybody. Uh, and I just think it's a really good book. I, I absolutely love uh, what she's doing and uh, in some ways each of her chapters are a bit of a beatitude you know she's got less complexity more clarity less pace more space less success more significance and in some ways they're like little mini beatitudes you know blessed are those who live with less complexity for they will find clarity uh, blessed are those uh, with less pace uh, for they will have more space. Blessed are those that have less success. Uh, they will have more significance. Uh, blessed are those with less, or less consumeristic. Uh, they will be curators of their their world. You know th- these. Um, you know, blessed are those with, that are less front stage, but make the priority the backstage. Uh, blessed are those who focus less on being perfect. Uh, but more on progress. Uh, they really sound like beatitudes. I was like, these 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 sound like something Jesus, uh, you know, would say. So I just thought it'd be really fun to interview her today. Now this podcast episode is dropping on the day it was published. So whatever day you are listening to this, it is now out, and you could pick up a copy because it was released today, the day that I am putting this episode out, which is early April. Um, so you you can definitely pick up a coffee. So uh, friends, welcome. It's lovely to have you with me. I hope you are having a great week and uh, I hope you really enjoy this little interview with Kathy Madavan on her book, Why Less Means More. Friends, uh, enjoy the episode and uh, we'll speak soon. Kathy Madaman, welcome to Making Disciples. You are the only writer, speaker, author that's been on the podcast three times. Usually people only get once or twice, so to be back three times. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing really well. Always good to talk to you. I just kind of wish I was there rifling through those bookshelves. No, well, as you've said to me before about um, we, those listening to this, we are on Zoom recording this. Um, you can't see the clutter around the room. I've just got my camera. And we've now got a camera that, that fogs out the background. So that always helps when your studies a mess. Um, anyway, it's really good to see you. And I'm super excited because you have got a new book out. And yes. I wanted to jump on and be one of the first people to talk to you about it because when you let me see an early version, I 
loved it and i think i, I wrote a little message to you which i think might have you made, you made it into the book i got engrossed i got engrossed because your writing style is so simple it's so easy to read you know you can just keep going it, it it's like um it's like pringles you know you, you pop one you just keep going uh, and it was so easy just to keep going and it was uh, and therefore it was so easy to read and i thought I've, i want to talk to kathy about this i want to know why you wrote it where did it come from what's the fuel behind it and all of all of that stuff so if you won't mind I'd, I'd love to interrogate you about your new book yeah and i'll tell you what you are you're the first one we're kind of like chatting first ahead of everyone else so it's just great to be chatting to you about it oh it's, it's great i'm really chuffed to jump in so you've written a book why less means more making space for what matters most where did that come from why did you wake up one morning i think i want to write this book well it's really interesting actually i've clearly got a bit of a prophetic or foresight gift because i um i decided to write this book like way back a couple of years ago probably you know around covid time actually when a few things were stripped away and i was really kind of wrestling with the fact that so often life seemed to be lived at warp speed you know and it's like the answer to everything in life is always more. As far as the world is concerned, we need like more money, more success, more achievement, more muscles, more foreign holidays, more everything. And actually that pressure, and we know, don't we, that, you know, mental health issues are, you know, really rampant everywhere and that people are really buckling under a lot of the stress. And I could see that in myself. I could see that I kept breaching my own limits, that I was you know, really left with very little capacity or margin to function as I hoped to function. And I began to think about that in, in lockdown and began to formulate the idea really of why less means more, how you know we might need less of some things and more of other things. But then coming out of lockdown, Mark and I, my husband's a church leader, um, and it just became very clear that our season of life was about to have an enormous change and that we were going to be leaving our church, which we did. But we did that without knowing where we would be going next. And so we ended up um, living, uh, I mean, 10 months actually in our friend's spare room with substantially less, like just a suitcase of stuff really. And all of the rest of our stuff was in, in storage. And really it was in that context that I was able to really ask the questions about, you know, when everything is stripped away and when the things that maybe give you your identity, mm. your community, your home, like our home that we'd renovated for 20 years where the kids were brought up, the area that we lived in, all of our relationships, when those things were kind of, you know, pushed to the sides, it does leave you with a sense where you're asking the question like, well, who am I, first of all, but also what, what really matters in my life? And when we do reboot again, what is it that I want to put, what are the things that really matter to me that I want to make sure are re-established? And what actually could I just leave behind maybe? Mm. What did you find in that yeah. moment? So you, you, know, you strip everything back and then you silly find what's underneath. I know in the pandemic for us, you started stripping away friendships, you know, hanging out together. You were, we were stripping away um, you know, the holidays and all of that. And we, we were left realizing how important our family was. Like we knew how important our family was, but there was something about the Rogers tribe suddenly became into focus. Cause it was like, no, actually, like if everything's gone, this is what 
what's left this is what's beautiful is our family what you know what did you find I think there's something really special about that and I I do think it's sad sometimes that it takes a stripping away process and for a lot of people that could be a it could be a bereavement it could have been COVID it could be a divorce it could be a, a diagnosis it could be a redundancy something where stuff that really has been something of a foothold for you is mm. removed and you you suddenly are faced with oh gosh actually my relationships are the bedrock of my life or or maybe I was building mm. maybe I was building on some things that were it turns out a lot shakier than than expected and yes I I would agree with you like I, I think the family and friends thing came into focus in a way that I, I knew it was important, but I didn't really realize quite how precious those friendships were. And if it, you know, if it hadn't been for friends, generosity, hospitality, prayers, kindness, uh, we definitely would not still be standing. So that did come into view. But I think the other thing that came into view was just how, and actually there's a chapter about this in the book, how, you know, I think we all aim for more extraordinary but actually it was the ordinary things that really do make up life. You know, just the simple habits and, you know, growing your plants or, or baking a cake or uh, a conversation with a friend on the phone. Or some, sometimes there are these things that we overlook, you know, chatting to a little child about something that they're excited about. You know, just small things that perhaps in the busyness and in the distraction Sometimes they just get glossed over because it's almost like, well, you know, those are a bit of interruptions, things that we need to rush through to get to the really important business of the day. And I realized really that I had got so used to juggling so much complexity and so much um, rushing, you know, that I, I maybe had been missing some of the things that perhaps it turned out might be more important than I realized. Mm. I remember sitting in the garden, listening to Ben Rector, American musician, just realizing how I had been so busy the last the three years before the pandemic, sitting in the garden, drink, drinking an iced coffee, listening to music. I'd not done it because I'd been so busy. It took me a, a pandemic to sit in our garden and find that we had a garden worth sitting in. Yeah. Um, yes, <laughs> it's bonkers, isn't it? But it's not um, just a it's not a, just a pandemic issue, though, is it? Because I think the thing is, we we all constantly default back to certain behaviours, don't we? And we just default back to whatever our personality is. And and I would say, um, why less means more is not actually a book about just about decluttering. Although I do think simplicity is really an important part of it. But I would say it's more about clarity than just simplicity. So I think for me, it's about working out well, what is the less and the more things. So, you know, for me, it might be less activity, but for somebody else, actually, who might feel really isolated um, or they, it might be for them that they need more connection and more. They need to volunteer at something more. So some of us, it might be that we need to you know, give up doing. But for other people, it, it, that might not be the case at all so i think it's really just working out the clarity around well what do you need actually a bit less of could be loneliness and isolation or it could be overactivity and it could be you know but what is it that you know is the right for you in the season you're in and kind of clarifying that a little bit for yourself mm, i love that i love the word clarity that's a really helpful word i think you know for me my faith became clearer 
as yeah. you know, so much was stripped out suddenly you could see jesus and what he was really about and maybe where i'd failed him uh you know but also where he was you know underpinning everything that clarity is really a key word i like that i, I think that's uh that's so true can I, I there's some of the chapters that i just loved i think really speak into where we are as a society so uh chapter four you you it's entitled less consumer more curator talk to us about consumer and curator um for those that have not read the chapter um you know what what are you saying in there but also what does that mean for us you know monday through friday yeah well it is i think this is a real challenge for for most of us isn't it in in a bit of a throwaway society where we are just really encouraged that I mean, advertisers, let's be honest, spend an awful lot of money marketing our felt needs so that we just accumulate more and more and more and more. But quite honestly, I think one of the things that we had to realise when we were moving out of our home that we loved is that there is something really powerful about this concept of um, that I read a lot about, about relinquishment. Mm. And that actually, if we're able to relinquish some of the things particularly that we own and i think i mean for many of us we attach memories and significance and meanings to things that we own that you know are sometimes disproportionate and we think that if we lose the item we'll lose the memory but we we won't actually you know sometimes we if we learn to make space by relinquishing some things it does actually increase our capacity to be able to cherish the stuff that we really, really love. It's a bit like um, old Marie Kondo. She talks about, you know, keeping what sparks joy. And I actually don't think that that's a bad idea. Just really thinking about like, what are the things that you really, really love most? And rather than just constant this accumulating and going, well, I want it, therefore, you know, I should have it and getting attached to everything. There is, there is something I think about, just the environment needs us to think about it. Our faith needs us to think about it. Um, just our identity isn't our stuff. Jesus talks a lot about this, that we are more yeah. than our possessions. But I think actually that's quite countercultural and that's almost quite a, a radical act to say that I am not my possessions. Um, and I know, you know, I I don't talk to me about my collection of shoes, like there are issues in my life. And I don't find this easy. I'm not a minimalist by any stretch, but I had to relinquish a lot. And in that, I found that I actually can let stuff go. And I hope actually that's one of the things that I, that I, you know, don't default back into just to accumulating more stuff. Because I think we should curate our possessions yeah. more in the sense that we we give them the value and the worth that they deserve. And we enjoy those things that we have um, without them becoming kind of our goal and our sense of self. Mm. There's a danger that as you get more stuff, you clutter the the very things that are actually the the, the items that bring you joy. I love the phrase that you just used, keeping what sparks you joy. Just think, you know, I've got so many things in my study cluttering all my shelves. You know, the one item that means so much to me gets swamped out by everything else, doesn't it? And actually, this is about saying, what is it that is the one thing that is a treasure? And what's the other things that are worth moving on? And for me, that whole act of relinquishing and clarifying what those precious things are the decluttering of the house in a way or of a cupboard 
I think it's just this incredible metaphor. You know, it really is, you know, about, you mm. know, in a sense of clarifying your soul, you know, really thinking about why do I accumulate everything, whether that's emails, projects, friends, um, you know, in a sense, you know, I'm a person who, who's really good at saying yes and to embracing stuff. And I'm really bad at saying no and letting stuff go, like whether it's guilt or whether it's um, a sense of duty or, or whatever it is, I'm not sure. But yeah. the stuff really is just a, is a symptom um, of, you know, this kind of mindset that says that more is the answer. Yeah. Um, I think Richard Foster talks about the undisciplined pursuit of more. And for me, that was a really powerful phrase when I read that. And there's a sense in which we are undisciplined in our pursuit of more. Yeah. Actually, perhaps, perhaps we could, you know, pull back a little bit and think about, you know, whether that's doing us any good or not. Yeah. Have you come across 40 days, 40 bags? Is this where you get rid of a bag of stuff every yeah. 40 yeah, we clever. Becky did this a few Lents ago, and you know it doesn't have to be Lent to do it, but every day during Lent, uh, she gets Sundays off. Uh, every day during Lent, she would fill a carrier bag with wow. something. Uh, some days it was uh, food, you know, well, not yeah, out of date food. You know, that's a good example. You know, she went through the pantry and found some things that, that you know we bought probably when we got married and we sat in the pantry for all these years. Uh, through to going through t-shirt drawer and, and filling a bag full of t-shirts one day or shoes another day, and um, we found it was a really good way of moving on some of the kids' stuff, <laughs> just cheating in some ways. Uh, but every day filling a bag and moving it on, and we really found that was beautiful in Lent. And it's something that just allows you to process, why have I got this? Do I need this? And actually, can I can I move this on somewhere else? Yeah, some of it goes in the bin. Some of it actually goes to recycling centers. And, and some of it goes to the charity shop, you know, depending on kind of where it needs to go. 40 bags in 40 days. Imagine how much stuff you can move on in that space of time. Yeah, I think we did about 40 skips in 40 days in the end. But um, but it's, it is quite liberating. And... Yeah. And I think, it, again, it just pushes yourself back against this more mindset that, you know, permeates how we live and just asks a question, mm. you know, do, do you want to just keep mindlessly living or do you actually want to design your life a little bit more? Do you want to think about what you're doing? So, but again, it's not about adding more pressure or like, you know, more heavy expectations on ourselves, but it is just... You know, I just hope that this book is a bit of a soul recalibration mm. where you just ask yeah. yourself some of those questions, really. I love that soul calibration. That's so true. The other chapter I wanted to talk to you about is chapter eight, less front stage, more backstage. Mm. Come on. We live in a pop culture, celebrity culture. It's all about more followers and being seen more and being engaged with more can we really long to be more backstage than front stage? What's that about? Yeah, I actually, I I really loved writing this chapter, but I also found it really challenging as a person who stands on quite a few stages. And um, I've been doing a lot of reading on this actually in my, in, on my studies and about this whole, and it's quite a well-known phrase, I think, in psychology, the whole uh, shadow side kind of young stuff and how that we all have a, you know, a shadow side, like not everyone sees all of us, you know, we all have a front stage and a backstage in that sense. But, you know, psychologists talk about um, living a more integrated life. And, in, and if, if we think about the word integrity, 
what that really means is um, being integrated. And what that means is that your front stage and your backstage are not mismatched. That there is a sense that who Chris is when you know you're talking to him in front of a hundred people is the same Chris that you you know you know if you're sat in in his you know house chatting with him that there's no difference that you are the same with your your weaknesses and your strengths are both there that you're not masking them and I think that is something that perhaps as we just grow older and grow more self-aware about hopefully that we kind of get to the point where we can be a bit more vulnerable and where we can invite people backstage a little bit more and that we can become aware of those things that maybe we are hiding because I think the problem is we often find approval front stage um, whether you're a speaker or not this is so whether you're a nurse on a ward or you are a teacher in a classroom or you you know work at we all have a place where we've learned how to get approval we've learned how to do the right things in such a way that people are nice to us that they um that they they you know react well with us and so we do things to garner approval to kind of get us where we want to be maybe if we're ambitious it gets us to the next level but for some of us you know that's not actually what's going on behind the scenes and and how we might be really feeling about things so i suppose this this chapter is is a little bit about encouraging us to peel back the layers and to say that the world tells us we need to just promote front stage more that it's all about your front stage get your filters going you know make yourself look fabulous only ever document your best moments um but actually real integrity is about knowing who you are whether you're in front of people and who you're and if you're not and really for those two things to be in alignment with one another i suppose and we know that god sees all of us you know we can't hide we can't hide <laughs> from god yeah. he, knows, he he accepts all of who we are so we invite him into those places those dark spaces and say god illuminate them for me so that i don't have to live in denial of these things that maybe I'd like to stash away, but actually I can I can bring them to you. I can ask you to do your work in me so that I don't have to hide and be ashamed of this stuff. Like I, I am all of who I am and it's all loved by God um, and he can redeem anything actually. Yeah. There's such a pressure on us, isn't there? Particularly in our society with Instagram and TikTok mm -hmm. and Facebook and all the social media stuff to be presenting our best selves or what we perceive to be the presentable self um how do you do that how do you make sure that you aren't just you know presenting the polished um you know yeah how do you make sure that that you are giving the reality as well as because it is nice to put on a frock i love putting on a frock uh, you know put on a frock do my hair do my makeup uh you love going out no that's true um you know, I love you. Love to present that 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 shiny version of ourselves because it makes us feel good at times, isn't it? But how how do we balance that then? How do you balance that with those moments where actually you just want to flake on the sofa? Uh, how do you present that to everyone? Well, I think I think it's slightly accepting that all of those versions of ourselves are 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 real. Like every emotion is real. Every um, sometimes we're sad, sometimes we're happy. You know, and the and the you know Kathy who's just done her hair and stuff is you know not actually a very different Kathy to the one who didn't do her hair, but it's okay to do it. But for me, the key is it's not about being vulnerable to everybody everywhere all of the time and to leaking all of your insecurity or to leaking your backstage indiscriminately 
But for me, it is about having safe places where, you know, where there are a selection of people who can see, you know, who have access all areas at all times. They can go backstage anytime they they know the backstage of my life as well as they know the front stage of my life and um, they are completely familiar with its contents and they know what's there and they are you know really welcome to be part of those moments which you know are less less polished and there's nothing wrong is there with you know being presentable and trying to do things well and you know that's absolutely fine but I think it's important that there are people who know all of us all of the time See, some of us, Kathy, we get out of bed and this is just what we look like every day. We can't all be blessed like Natural. you, Chris. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to talk about chapter 10 because this is really, I loved this. I, and it's, it's following on the theme, chapter 10, less perfect, more progress. Less perfect. And I think it's following on the same theme, isn't it, from, from chapter eight, which is all, you know, what you present on the front stage and the backstage stuff being real uh you know talk us through what does it mean to, to be less perfect uh but have more progress yeah i think this does follow on a little bit from the last one and i think it certainly ties into the whole social media where we compare our lives mm. to other people and and those you know those metrics and benchmarks actually that we use in life and so i think this chapter is a little bit about examining what our metrics and our benchmarks are for success and actually I do talk about the difference between success and significance in the book as well and I think that's crucial um but I think most of us can be quite hard on ourselves or we can simply in our minds create subconsciously what we think is plan a for our life and then we just get quite disappointed when <laughs> plan a does work out because <laughs> let's be honest it doesn't always work out and and certainly for us this last couple of years but also you know we've talked about this in the past with you know mark my husband's you know eyesight and and frankly you know plenty of other stuff where you know you know the idea of what would be perfect outcomes or the ideal situation haven't worked out and so a lot of us can live under a sense of failure or a sense of disappointment Mm. Um, sometimes disappointment in God, sometimes disappointment in other people, sometimes a disappointment in ourselves, where we just, and if we're not really careful, that disappointment takes root and then we just end up with bitterness. And that's a that's a damaging place to be, mm. a really damaging. Once we start getting cynical mm. and bitter, we know that, you know, we're in trouble really. And so I think if we could just, adjust our metrics slightly so that we look at progress so actually I made a step forward today I grew in this area I you know I tackled this fear today I stepped out today I think those things are you know really really important to kind of watching ourselves so that we don't live under a sense of shame and guilt but we start to celebrate the small wins in our life and we kind of mm. like actually take the next right step which is a bit of a life motto of mine just do the next right thing just take the next right step anyone who ever knows me knows I'm always saying that just do the next right thing mm -hmm. just do the next right thing that that's the kind of sense of motivating and motivation in our life not being perfect and everything being seamless doing the next right thing seeing where that takes you and and that's a very different mindset and stops us living in disappointment but start seeing some possibility perhaps yeah 
I've got a friend who perfection is something about growing up. Got this idea that everything has to be perfect, mm. and he pushes for the perfect, but he he therefore never completes anything, mm. and he's got project after project that's just uncompleted. Uh, you know, ten percent not not finished, so it never actually sees the light of day. Uh, and yeah, you know, I have a phrase that you know, good enough is enough. <laughs> if it's good enough, get on with it, use it, enjoy it. Uh, and we, we're very different. But you know, on one hand, I have got all these things that I've done, but they're not quite polished. He's got nothing completed and nothing polished. Uh, so there's something about just being good enough, isn't there? Just doing enough and enjoying what you're doing and not needing everything to be perfect. Depends if you're a brain surgeon or you are engineering a bridge that people are, thousands <laughs> of people are gonna drive. I mean, we might want those people to really be perfectionist about what they do. And that's fair enough. But I, yeah, I mean, and perfectionists, you know, all of the psychological research tells us that, re that perfectionists place their self-esteem at least partly on whether they hit the impossible yeah. goals they've set for themselves. And that's just, again, a, a, you know, a difficult place to live, but an important thing to realize if that's us, um, what, you know, how yeah. can we, like you said, just celebrate living in a space where we're not constantly oppressing ourselves with unreasonable standards? Yeah. And that, you know, that's where Jesus meets us, isn't it? In, totally. in the fact that we are not perfect, that we yeah. are not a hundred percent. He meets us in that gap. And that's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? The beauty of our faith that actually God meets us in that, that place. Kathy, thank you so much for writing. Why less means more, making space for what matters. Um, it's published by SPCK. Where can they get it? Where, where can they get it from? Well, it definitely, you can get it from SPCK. You can get it from you know great bookshops like St. Andrews or Eden.co.uk. Waterstones are stocking it because it's not really just for Christians. I've tried to write it in such a way that it would be accessible to anybody. I mean, obviously there is the um, Amazon A word as well, where which is available where it's doing very well. And, you know, I, I don't mind where people get it, really. It's, it's spring harvest when we're there for the festival yeah. and I'm sure other festivals as well. But I just hope people really enjoy it. Now, you've just mentioned what one of the things I did want to pick up before we finish. This is not a book you have written for Christians. It's near every page has not got a Bible passage on it. But it's lit, the golden thread, you know, when you're reading it, you can see that there's this faith in there. Uh, you've written this as a way of speaking into the lives of those that don't have faith, that don't understand, that don't know Jesus, and their lives are um, needing this kind of message. So, you know, what was in your mind for who would be reading this? Well, I, I mean, you're so right. I mean, if, you, if you're a Christian, you'll see the upside down kingdom of God all the way through mm. this. This is, you know, the Beatitudes. This is the life is. Jesus values all the way through it. But my heart is that those values and those kingdom values, you know, will permeate into people. And I'm quite clear at the beginning of the book that I'm a Christian and that's my mindset. But I, you know, but that I offer what's inside to people of all faiths and none and hope that they find that the, the faith elements are interesting. But actually, I really hope that the values and the challenges will be helpful to people wherever they come from in their thinking and their beliefs. So that's my prayer that, you know, it will be good stuff that kind of goes out into all the world and encourages people of all faiths and none. Amazing. Kathy, thank you. Where can people find you? Uh, no, I'm not asking your address. <laughs> <laughs> what is your, where can people find you online? 
you can all the social media normal places facebook page instagram my my website's kathymadavan.com and that will take you to everything you you need but yeah i'm easy to find it's an unusual name you're gonna need to post some pictures now of you just flaked out on the sofa <laughs> you know hair looking a mess you know you can't you can't write a chapter you know less front stage more backstage and then have a perfect instagram so uh we, we need to see some pictures of you covered in food I'll do my best. Yeah, yeah. Kathy, thank you so much. And I can't wait to find out how the book goes. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me on. It's so nice to be here with you again. Oh, it's a pleasure. Grace and peace. You too.